Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. So let's, let's look at Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1, and I'd like to talk about the call of Moses and me. And when I say me, I don't mean me, I really mean you. But the call of Moses and me, it just sounds better, doesn't it, alliteration-wise? We'll, we'll really look at these first few chapters here this morning and Exodus, because we're in Shemot, the new parasha. So Father, we pray you open our eyes, gal open our eyes to build wonderful things from your word, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Jason already prayed, I didn't even need the prayer. Here's a, a, a kind of humorous thing, it's cute, kind of cute. Uh, it's written 35 years ago, so it's dated, so realize that when, you read, when I read this. <laughs> and it's written to, to, to Jesus son of Joseph, Yeshua ben Yosef, we would say. It's a Christian thing, but listen to it. Uh, it says Jordan Ma- Management Consultants. We would change that to Jerusalem something, right? But here it is, all right? It's the resume of the apostles. Resume of the apostles. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included and you'll want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew, Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning aptitude that would tend to undermine morale. (laughs) We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, and has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. 
we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. <laughs> All of the other profiles, profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture, <laughs> sincerely, and then the management committee. So I don't know. How many have ever heard that before? No, it's, it's dated. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? Wow. God's call and you or me. God's call. Well, we'll get to Moses' call in a minute because it's quite, quite a call, isn't it? The burning bush. Uh, they don't know where that was located, by the way. They're not sure. There's a few possible locations. But it happened. A burning bush for a reason. Exodus 1. Let's look back at the first few chapters. We see the beginning. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel, B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, who came into Egypt with Jacob, each man with his family. Verse 1. Verse 5 through 7. The souls that came out of the line of Jacob, numbered 70 in all, while Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, as did all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased and multiplied, and they grew extremely, extremely numerous, all right? So say goodbye to the patriarchs and forefathers and say hello to the next generation. We move from the family Genesis, or tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Joseph, and Yosef, to the larger people, the children of Israel. Look at verses 15. Let's go down to verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15 through 21. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke, this is the new king in town, right? New king, uh, new pharaoh. King of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra and the other Puah, and said, when you help the Hebrew women... During the childbirth, look at the sex. If, this, if it's a son, kill him. So this is infanticide here. Kill him. Kill the babies. But if it's a daughter, she may live. Yet the midwives feared God. These two women feared God. So they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. And so the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said, Why have you, why have you done this? Let the boys live. And the midwives told the Pharaoh a lie. How about that? Does God bless, would God be good to liars? Well, in this case, yes, because they did it for a reason. Because the Hebrew women, they said, are not like the Egyptian women. They are, they are like, and this is, I don't like this translation, animals. It's not really right. Chayot, they are lively. They're vigorous. They're lively. They're vigorous. Chayot, like where we get chayim, life. And they give birth before the midwife, midwife comes to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied, growing very numerous, because the midwives, why? They feared God. That was the key. They feared God. Remember fear, the word fear in here means that's what you're focused on. That's what you think of most. That's what you're most conscious of. They feared God before man. Uh, it's not a time to fear people. It's a time to fear God in our, in our culture, too. Feared God, and he gave them families of their own. It's really, he gave them households. He made, in the Hebrew says, he made uh, households for them. He made households for them. So, <clears throat> so these two women, uh, Shifra and Pua, are certainly in the ongoing Hebrews 11, what we would call the heavenly Hall of Heroes, really, because it's still being written, Hebrews 11, still being written today. It really is, absolutely, still being written. Names are still being recorded. The cloud of witnesses, the martyrs and winners. They're martyrs, winners, not spectators, not spectators, as we think. I've done a lot of study on this. Not spectators sitting in the stands of the stadium looking down on the arena, but veteran 
athletes. That picture in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's talking about these people in Hebrews chapter 11, these amazing, they are veteran athletes, the picture is. They're finishers. They're finishers. They're not simply witnessing what we're doing, but they're testifying, Marturo, testifying to us that God can see us through, that God can see us through, that it's worth it. It's worth it. Everything you go through, it's worth it in the long, in the ultimately, it's going to be worth it. That's what they are. That's what they're doing. And these women feared God more than man. They refused to terminate the life of a baby in order to save themselves. They were willing to lie and ready to die if need be. Now, if they told the truth, they'd not have been able to save any more babies from infanticide. Yeshua said, be wise as what? Serpents. Well, that's serpents, snakes. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Matthew 10, 16. So there's a time to be, to do something like that if you need to, to save lives. <clears throat> now, chapter 2 What's, this is, we see some amazing faith of the mother of Moses. A man from the house of Levi took as his wife, here's the young Moses, a daughter of Levi, the woman conceived, gave birth to a son, and this is young Moses. He was delightful. She hid him for three months so he wouldn't, wouldn't die. She could no longer hide him, so she took a basket of papyrus reeds. She coated it, and uh, you know the story. She put him in the river, the bank of the Nile, and stood, his sister stood off at a distance to see what would happen to them. What amazing, what a trial of faith. What a difficult, how to trust God that he'd be taken care of, that somehow God would watch over him. How amazing, how hard. Uh, giving your three-month-old baby to God and trusting his outcome. I can't imagine, can't imagine. And she had to give him up twice, actually. So, uh, you know, the, the kinder transport during the Holocaust was used to save 10,000 children. To, they escaped to Britain, but that's a whole other story. In, chapter, in verse 5, we see, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe while her maidens walked along. So here is God's hand at work by the riverside. And she saw, sees the basket, and she goes. And here, can you imagine? This is obviously the answer to her mother's prayer. She's, must have, can you imagine how much she prayed? And she gets the, the, the child... And uh, the boy's crying, and she has some compassion, and they say it's one of the Hebrew children, and she takes it as her own, and calls, they call the, then they call the child's mother in verse 8 and 9, go, uh, call the child's mother, then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take uh, this child and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you the wages. How difficult it must have been to do that. For Moses' mother to nurse her child knowing she'd have to give him up again. She's going to have to give him up again. How many prayers did, but how many prayers did her Moses' mom offer up for him? Imagine praying for him how many times. And so we see adoption in verse 10. The boy grew. Adoption, what a beautiful thing. Adoption, maybe some of you have adopted or you know people that have adopted. Beautiful thing we have, important act of adoption here. Boy grew older and became her son. So she named him Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. And so now we see Moses being shaped, his character being shaped, what he does as he grows up. 
and he, and, he, and he murders an Egyptian. Why does he murder an Egyptian? You say, how is that character? Well, he kills an Egyptian because he sees him beating his fellow Hebrew slave. It's in verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. Would God use a murder? Well, in this case, he did. He noticed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own. He, took him, he looked around. No one was looking. And he killed him and hit him in the sand. Then he went. following day, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. He says, why are you beating your companion? And he has to flee. He has to, has to run from his own people. Then down in verse 16 through 19, he stands up to these shepherds. 16 through 19. The priest of Midian had seven daughters who came to draw water, but the shepherds came and drove them away. So Moses, verse 17, stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And they come and tell their father, they told him, an Egyptian, verse 19, delivered us, delivered us out of, he, he freed us out of the hand of the shepherds. He also drew water for us. That was a, uh, took a lot of time. It was a lot of effort to take the, the pails of water back and forth, back and forth uh, for us, and he watered the flock. So Moses, Moses had a heart of compassion for the oppressed. He had the courage to take action. He didn't just watch, he couldn't just watch injustice taking place in apathy. We learn a lot about Moses in these early episodes that are recorded here. His passion for justice was for all. He hated bullies and he defended the weak and defenseless against them. He also was strong enough and proactive in watering their animals to do so. So serving others in need will open, also open the door for our own provision and welfare because we see now Moses ends up being asked, invited to their, the house and he ends up being taken care of as a result of that. So you never know what obeying, doing the, doing the right thing will open up for you. You see Moses being shaped for his calling. Now that's important because we see Moses' reluctance in his calling and you say, why would God persevere with him? Well, because God knew his character. God loved Moses' heart, his character, his love for people. Moses cared about people. Moses didn't just, wasn't just indifferent. He loved, he cared about people. He was willing to sacrifice himself for it. Moses was a single-parented child growing up without knowing his real parents. Maybe you're in that situation or you know someone who is. And Moses is selected and he's spared and he's shaped and he's sent and we see this in chapters 3 and 4, that he, the, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, 3, 1, verse 1, the priest of Midian, and he's in the wilderness, in the desert, and Moses is called by the Lord. You know, he sees the bush burning with fire that's not consumed. The bush burning with fire, not consumed. And he hears God speaks his name twice, Moshe, Moshe. And what's his response? Hineni, Hineni right? That famous word, Hineni, here am I. Here am, you know, at your service, yes, sir, you know, ready. I'm responding to you. Samuel responded, he heard his voice twice. Isaiah, Jeremiah, many, you know, different servants of God. But Moses is a reluctant if I can say, whiny ambassador. And he, he has all sorts of protests to God's call. In uh, chapter 3, verse 8, we see, he says, so I have, 
come down, God says, so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand to bring them of the Egyptians to bring you up them up to the land flowing with halav uh, davash, milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite. And Moses says, uh, he says, come now, I'm going to send you to bring my people out. And uh, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? This is his first protest. We see, I think there's really four and really kind of five of them here. And Moses is saying, this is a massive task. You're asking me to return to that scene of slavery and suffering and then to somehow lead your people, which are now my people, or which are my people, out from there to a large, luscious land that belongs to other nations. This is too much. Moses says in verse 11, why me? I haven't been there, here, there so, in so long, and you're asking me to go back. I don't have any credibility. There's no, I have no influence there, no, expert, no experience, no contacts, no connections. And God's answer is very simple. All you need is me. All you need is me. Surely I will be with you. I will be with you. That's it. That's all you need. That's my answer. For you see your calling, brothers, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God chooses the foolish, the weak, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the uh, rich man glory in his riches, but let him glory in this, let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me, and I am the Lord God. I exercise uh, loving kindness and, and justice in the earth, for I delight in these things. God says, it's, the issue is knowing me. Moses is full of excuses. Five times, full of excuses. If you look at this, God does not baby him and even finally gets upset with him. But God knew his heart, and so he didn't let that stop him from persisting with his call on his life. Dr. Dina Grant says this, the Bible has many call narratives in which God appears to a human being and sends him on a commission. Isaiah chapter 6, Jeremiah chapter 1, Ezekiel, Moses in Exodus 3, and that of Gideon in Judges 6. Moses responds with a number of misgivings, ranging from, one, his own inadequacy, to two, Pharaoh's likely refusal, to three, Israel's potential unreceptiveness. Even more, Moses' increasingly argumentative orientation toward God is reflected in the changing syntax by which Moses relays his misgivings. So this is all in the Hebrew. Moses' questions are conditional, contingent on theoretical realities. In other words, all his protests and all his things are based upon something we don't even know, he doesn't even know will take place, as are ours. They haven't happened yet. So that may not yet and may never occur. Moses could pose countless what-if questions to address an infinite number of potential obstacles. To Moses' objections, God's answer or reply in each case could essentially be yes or that's right. I'll equip you and I'll supernaturally anoint you and empower you with signs and with gifts of my spirit. Moses uses the imperative verb form to command God to alter his plan. 
And it's only then, when he uses this command, God, he says, God, send somebody else. I'm not going. Send someone else. God gets upset. God gets, he's challenging God, and then that's the only time God gets really, gets angry. Richard Wurmbrandt, my favorite, of course, writes, why did God choose his messenger, as his messenger, a man slow of speech and of slow tongue? He says, Adonai, I'm a man, not a man of words. I'm a, in the Hebrew, it's I'm a heavy mouth and a heavy tongue. Kavad peh and kavod lashon anochi, I am. And Wurmbrandt says, uh, says the following. He says, uh, Rabbi Moliver of Bielstock, Bielstock, which is the hometown actually of my father's family in Poland, explained that if he had chosen instead an eloquent orator, such a man would have entered into a long argument with Pharaoh and his advisors about the sociological and psychological evils produced by slavery, about the value of emancipation, the value of the Jewish ancestral traditions. He would have become enamored with his own speeches. <laughs> more and more dialogues would have been initiated, says Wormbrandt, like the endless and useless dialogues which different religions have with each other. The result for the Jews would have been nil. Because Moses stuttered and couldn't, could pronounce very few words without difficulty, he went directly to the point and said to Pharaoh, let's say it, let my people go. Let's say it again. Let my people go. Very good. All right. It is such men, says Wurmbrandt, that God seeks even today. And let, let us add, and women. Amen. God uses passion and conviction over education and eloquence. Doesn't mean education is bad. Education is important. But God uses passion and conviction over education and eloquence. Truth over technical or theatrical expertise. Yeshua wasn't known for his mesmerizing allegorical skills or his enchanting accent. Well, if he had a British accent, it would have been... Oh, <laughs> Yeshua, why didn't you speak like this? It would have been so much better. But for, but for his words of spirit and life, right? John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. His words of truth, they were sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4, verse 12. It's easier to work with someone who doesn't already think they're qualified and know how to do it. Did you know that? Well, that's how we did it in my synagogue, in my church. That's how we did it then. When Salvation Army founder William Booth started his ministry, he wouldn't use churched people for his army of volunteer workers. He said he wanted unchurched people, former thieves, prostitutes, gamblers, alcoholics, preaching and singing in the streets of London as living testimonies to the power of God. Yeshua chose fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, the non-religious in most, case, most cases, not all cases, but in many case, most cases, Matthew 9 and Luke 11, we could read about it, because they were moldable. They would be adaptable and teachable to do the unknown and the undone. Eheyeh asher eheyeh. I will be who I will be, God told Moses at the burning bush. Eheyeh asher eheyeh. I will be who I will be. The way I'm going to do it this time is different from the way I did it last time. 
I don't need and cannot use someone who's going to react and tell me, no, that's not you, God. I'm not comfortable with that. I prefer the way you did it before. God saying, would say, I don't need your advice. I need your trust and obedience. If Moses, rather, had thought himself an expert in community relations or in leadership skills, God could not have used him and would have and would not have called him to lead the Jewish people into freedom. He felt entirely unqualified and unprepared for the task. But really, he had been prepared by God in his difficult upbringing and in his acts of character that shaped him. He learned that his sufficiency, his competency, was from God and not from himself, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. He had no confidence in the flesh, as Paul says, I have no, we have no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3.3. 3. So Moses objects. Moses says, they'll think I'm unreliable. He has excuses. I'm inadequate. I'm unqualified. God shows him in a, a, a slithering serpent and a leprous hand. Remember? Put the a leprous hand threatening, and dis- threatening the serpent and disgusting the, the hand of but he demonstrates to Moses, this is all chapter 4 of, of Exodus 4, which is citing now. He demonstrates to Moses who is really in control. Who's really in control. He is, like we sang in that, one of those songs recently. He's in control. Follow my instructions. Stay close to me and you will be safe and you will be protected. I'm sick of it and you're sick of it. Excuses. Excuses. Why? I can't go. Why you can't go? Why we can't? Excuses. New York City has two million Jews. Did you, I learned at our conference, two million Jews and no Messianic congregation. Maybe you or I am not called to go, or maybe you or I are. But the only reason not to is because we're not called to. Not because we can't. Of course we can't. God can. God can. That's all that matters. And by the way, when I speak about New York City, I'm talking about the five boroughs. Psalm 73, 28 says, I put in my Lord Adonai my trust to declare all your divine mission. I love that translation. I never saw that before until a few days ago. I was looking at the psalm. He says, I put my Lord Adonai in my, in my Lord Adonai, my trust, it's the Hebrew, to declare, it's just, it normally says all your works, all the translation, but it's all your divine mission. C.T. Studd saw, he was in a missionary, a great missionary. He saw a strangely worded notice in Liverpool in 1908. It caught his attention and his sense of humor. Cannibals want missionaries. <laughs> He entered, he entered the meeting hall where Carl Kuhn told the, story, told the story of his walking through Africa and of all the tribes who had never heard the story of Jesus. Explorers had been to those regions even though they knew they were inhabited by cannibals. Big game hunters, Muslim missionaries, traders of weapons and liquor, European officials and scientists, had risked their lives, but no Christian, no believer, had ever gone there to tell of Jesus, of Yeshua. 
Studd asked himself why believers did not go, why Christians did not go. God replied, why don't you go? (laughs) Studd already had long terms of missionary work in China and India behind him. He was sick. He went, notwithstanding, and won cannibals for Jesus. Wormbrandt writes this. He says, there are still individuals, tribes, and countries that take pleasure in torturing and murdering believers. Today, you could give your life among Stone Age peoples in Latin America, in the Philippines, in New Guinea, Papa, Muslim fanatics, always ready to kill believers. They have killed great numbers in this century in Turkey, Lebanon. Communists are always are, are ready to jail anyone who dares to bring Bibles into communist countries. There are, are still backward and unreached tribes in Africa. Go there, even if you are old and sick, Wormrand says. If you cannot go, help with your prayers, your homework, and your contributions to those who do go. Let us all pray for the believers who do missionary work in places of great danger at the risk of their own lives. Amen? I hope you don't mind if I stretch us with this kind of stuff. Are we willing to follow the one who will be who he will be? Or will we insist that he will be who he was? Or be who we want him to be? Am I willing to count all things lost that I might gain Messiah? Only in so doing will we be able to know Ehiyah Asher Ehiyah, the one who will be who he will be. If we're going to follow God, follow Yeshua, we cannot make him what we, what we want him to be, do what we want him to do. We must die to who we want to be and what we want to do and where we want to be and be alive to Ehiyah Asher Ehiyah, who he will be. And in so doing, we will gain him, Philippians 3, 8. I will be with you because Really, we will be with him. Yeshua said it this way, Amen, amen, I tell you, John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce what? Much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it forever. If any man serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there also will my servant be. Wow, is there anything better than that? If anyone serves me, him, oh, my father, honors. Nothing else. I'll finish with this poem. But in Exodus 4.20, you know what Moses, it says? It says, Moses took the staff of God in his hand. That staff that turned into a snake and then turned back into, it was Moses' staff and it became the staff of God. He took the staff of God in his hand because now it was, he was under God's authority. It's like, Moses' staff, God's staff. I have been crucified with the Messiah, Paul said, Galatians 2.20. I'm under, I'm following you, Lord. George MacDonald wrote this poem. I think it's called, if it has a title, Flowers for, or, or the Crown. I said, let me walk in the fields. He said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the skies are black. There is... Nothing but noise and din. 
And he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said. There is sin. I said, but the air is thick and fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, I shall miss the light and friends will miss me, they say. He answered, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem so hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. I cast one look at the fields, then set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he, and I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. Lord, we just thank you for your call on each of our lives. We thank you for Moses' reluctance, Lord, which is no different than ours, his fears, his excuses, no different than ours. But we thank you, Lord, that you are more than adequate. You are more than sufficient. There's no one like you. You are, and you have, you empower us and you equip us with all that you are, and the gifts of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, with your presence and your protection and your power, your grace. And the only issue is us being willing to say yes to you, whatever that means, whatever our part is. It may be a, seem like a tiny part, but it's not tiny to you, Lord, because we're saying yes to you, whatever it is. So we thank you, Lord. We bless you. Help us to say yes, Lord. We want to experience you in every way. Ehyeh asher ehyeh. You, you will be who you will be. We want to experience who you are, not who you were. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. Let's stand right now and let's just ask God to equip you, to fill you with his spirit. Would you do that? Ask him. Fill me with your Ruach HaKodesh, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Fill me, empower me, Lord. Equip me, Lord. I want to hear your voice, Lord. I want to say yes to it, whatever that means, Lord, for your call in my life. Forgive me where I've said I can't do it. It's impossible. Thank you, Lord. I yield to you. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your, empower us, Lord, with the gifts of of your spirit and the gifts of healing. As Francis said earlier, Lord, we saw that operating so beautifully, Lord, the conference we were just at. We prayed for so many for, for healing and we believe you for miracles, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because you love people, Lord, because you love, love each one of us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing too hard for you. Thank you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Praise you. Praise you, God. Beverly, would you pray? Would you lead us in prayer? Father, in the name of Yeshua, we bless you, you now. Thank we you, give Lord. you praise yes. and glory and honor. There is none like you, and we are crying out as a people who long for your touch, who long for your direction. We first want to ask you, Lord, to lead us 
in the way that you would have us to go. We do not come this morning, this afternoon with an agenda. We come asking your leadership, your direction, and your will. Father, we cannot do any of these things unless you fill us with your spirit. We come as yielded vessels before you in the name of Yeshua. We ask, oh God, that you would have your perfect work done in us. We submit to you. We don't submit to our feelings. We don't submit to anything else but to you and your word. We ask that you would give us clarity in the things that you would have us do. Lord, we ask that you would give us peace. Lord, that you would energize us. Lord, that we would lay aside, give us the strength to lay aside every weight that would stop us. Lord, help us to lay aside our own excuses and be fully submitted and committed to you, to your will, to your way, to your word. Lord, we trust you today. Lord, and wherever we are short, wherever we are failing, we are like the man who spoke to Yeshua, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Wherever we are not believing, we are having an issue or a problem, we ask that you would help us. We can't do any of this without you. So we come crying out, we come yielded, and we come saying, have your way with us us, in us, so that your glory will be seen and the earth will declare that you are God, that the universe will declare that you are God, that those who refuse to believe you will open their eyes and declare you are surely God. So we bless you. I ask that you would strengthen my brothers and my sisters today. In the name of Yeshua, everybody in this place, Lord, let them lay aside their own thoughts of their inadequacies. But Lord, I, I, I'm not this, but Lord, I'm not that. But Lord, I don't believe that. Let them lay it aside and see only you. Lord, we thank you for this desire that you have placed in us. Thank you for anointing our rabbi to help us to cry out to you today. Thank you for putting it on his heart and bless him. Thank you for stretching us, Lord. In the, help us not to be complacent. Help us not to be complacent. And we give your name the praise for it now. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. If you've never received Yeshua, a prayer, a prayer away, Lord God, I want to receive you. You're watching alignment. Yeshua, come into my heart, Lord. I submit to you. I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, come. I, God, I want Jesus, Yeshua. I'm opening my heart. Come into my life today. If you're praying, you're here. You're receiving Yeshua. Pray. Give your life to the Lord. He loves you. You can have forgiveness, eternal life. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do it now. Shalom. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the ruler of peace, amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom.